Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And it just makes sense that if we're born with feelings that don't belong to us, this is a part of not necessarily what was modeled or how we were raised, but a part of simply what is shared within that family line. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Did you suffer neglect as a child? Were you disconnected from your parent, either physically or emotionally? 
The consequences of neglect can be severe and long lasting and it's one that we often don't connect with trauma because it's one of the quiet forms of abuse. On the Heal blog this week, you can find the three steps to heal from cruel childhood neglect. Find out a whole list of things you can do to thrive after a childhood of neglect. The link to this blog post is in the show notes. In this quick chat episode, we are looking at how trauma is passed down your family line. Whatever has happened to your parents, your grandparents and beyond can have a huge impact on your life simply as a result of what is shared within that family line. Systemic theory is looking at the family system as a whole and how this is affecting you today. My guest is Joanna Lynn and she works in the field of epigenetics. We pick up the conversation as Joanna is explaining that whilst we might be born with trauma from past generations, it doesn't belong to us. Truth is, when we start to look at the full family tree, we're seeing why we might feel that way. We were born with it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it belongs with us. And so I joke that I'm a little bit more like a detective than I am, say, a coach or a therapist, because I'm finding that why you're stuck, why relationships always feel this way, no matter who's on the other side of them, to really get to the heart of the matter, right to the root cause. Yeah, wow, that's that's amazing, isn't it? So, so it's really about how trauma changes our DNA. Yes, very succinctly said. That's it exactly. Okay. So, yeah, I think we all think that we we have this imprint and that's it. Now we understand mm-hmm. that what has happened to our parents and grandparents changes that. So, Therefore, the the whole argument about nature versus nurture, it's really made a bit redundant by this, isn't it? Because it's it's got to show that it's both of those things. I'd have to say yes. You know, there's this amazing scientist researcher. Her name is Rachel Yehuda. She is a descendant of Holocaust survivors. And so much of the research that she does looks at this nature-nurture conversation. And for me, I love to stay as close to the science as I can. And it just makes sense that if we're born with feelings that don't belong to us, this is a part of not necessarily what was modeled or how we were raised, but a part of simply what is shared within that family line. And the other part of my practice that I lean on really heavily is neuroscience. And saying thank goodness for what we've learned there about how we can change, what is really behind transformation and really shifting some of those stuck points in our lives. And it goes all the way back to something called Hebb's Law, that what, what, what wires, like what a thought that we keep thinking just keeps repeating. So if we're in that place, what wires together, fires together. So if we keep thinking to ourselves, it'll always be this way. I've always had money troubles or I've always been left alone in love. Well, that is firing in a sense how our brain is connecting the stresses that we're going through. And so this work is all about getting underneath that. Almost, you know, what came before that so that we can finally resolve it. So just taking a look back at your life, I know that when your mum was pregnant with you, her best friend lost her baby. 
Can you explain the impact that that event had on you in utero? Yeah, so this wasn't something I learned until after I'd taken these studies. And of course, came back to my parents with all these family history kind of questions. And it made a lot of sense from the perspective of how I was parented from a mom who's, I would say, pretty overprotective, pretty concerned. A lot of the what if thinking would kind of run away with her. What if this happened? What if that? And it gave me a lot more compassion for her around, you know, her very best friend just before she gets pregnant with me, loses her child. And the amount of, you know, I think sometimes when we're pregnant, we just think, oh, the miracle has happened. Here we go. You know, we're, we're so excited. We don't think that could even happen because it hasn't happened in our friendships, in our sphere of influence. And so it was such a huge impact of, oh, if it could happen to her, what if? I would lose my child. What if the worst thing imaginable for a parent could happen? And so I think it created the pathway for a lot of concern of loss, death, so that what if the worst were to happen? And I should add to that, that in my own mom's family, her mother lost a sibling, sadly was run over by sibling's father in the driveway. So this feeling of the worst could happen, another child lost. And so there's this echo that lives inside those people that have had experiences with such deep traumatic loss. It impacts the way we parent. Yeah. And so the impact of that is really just how it is expressed to you and how do you take that on as a child then? Are you then a really kind of worried, anxious child? Well, it's very interesting the way it goes. So I would describe my sister as much more anxious and kind of wired up with that sort of hypervigilant style of personality, where I seem to go the other way. And so again, there's that big question, well, why did one go, one sibling go one way and the other seemingly the opposite? And yet that is what happened. And so that's one of the great mysteries of of how any of us get to be the way we are. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, yeah, it's always hard to sort of get your head around how people in the same family can turn out so differently. But everybody in a family has a slightly different set of DNA anyway, right? Yeah, so what's interesting about systemic theory, that's what this style of work is called. We're looking at not the individual that might be looking for therapy, we're looking at the whole system. So in this systemic approach, we're really wanting to understand where the trauma traveled to. And so often I, I sort of joke that the siblings are like one, you know, we're all sharing the same pie, but we're all a different slice. And so we're carrying different aspects of, you know, okay, that belongs over there with mom and that belongs over there with dad. And sometimes there are, you know, five, six, seven siblings in these larger families and some of the later children, some of the younger ones, can actually carry more for the grandparents. So you start to follow that trend and who's carrying what from who. And my special training is to follow how that's revealed through language. So how people describe their challenges, what they're up against, what their triggers are, this actually reveals all that I need to see from what lives in the family system. 
So I listen very carefully about how they're describing what, what they're challenged with today, and it reveals so much about that historical context. Yeah. When you're a child with two parents, are you getting 50% from each, but it's a different combination of their DNA so that, you know, like I, I might get a different combination of 50% of each parent. Is that how it works? To my, to a sibling? Yes. And so what I've noticed in my years in this work is typically it can follow gender. And so daughters are more likely to carry from their mom and sons are more likely to carry from their father. Now, my husband and I have an only child. He's a son. So bummer for him. He's going to get a double dump of what's unresolved for his, from his dad and I, regardless of gender. So only children have a little bit of a different um, systemic weight than if it's shared across multiple siblings. So what I love about this work is it's also individual. There are no hard and fast rules. There are no formulaic approaches. I'm working with each person with a fresh brand new slate and using a lot of the systemic principles as guidelines, I suppose, but not as that sort of prescription and in which way to take it. It's all very individual. Yeah. So what else in your childhood would have impacted your development? So a big, big part of what I look at is something that we call in this work a break in the bond. And if any of your listeners want to look up one of the most famous psychological experiments, it's called the still face experiment. It's maybe just five or six minutes on YouTube, but it is fascinating. So as the name of the study would reveal, the mom sort of has a still, still face and baby's response tells us everything we need to know. So that early disruption in attunement, we call it attachment sciences, that are we securely attached, are we insecurely attached? All of this has to do with those first five years of life. So for example, did mom have to go right back to work and were, you know, shipped off to daycare? We may have had all of our needs cared for and we have a lovely social group of other babies, but at that developmental stage, we really need mom's smell, her voice, her connection. It builds our brain very differently. Maybe mom had postpartum depression and through no fault of her own, she's kind of thrown into a hormonal cascade of you know complications and she just isn't able to be there for you. Or mom and dad are divorcing or gosh, dad's parents get a really scary diagnosis and everybody's kind of thrown into the medical waiting game with a lot of stress and concern. Perhaps the sibling after or before you dies in a very awful, tragic way. There are all kinds of, I suppose, everyday life kinds of things that can pull away that attachment, that deep sense of parent-child bond that can mess with our own self-confidence, our own trust in life. That's really interesting, though, when you said that it's about the mother's smell and having the mother around because you just don't realise the impact of, of these simple things to a child because, you know, many children have to be cared for by others, don't they, in those early months of life because of whatever is going on. What, what could a, a mother that has to put her child into the care of another person, what can they do to minimize the impacts? 
Such that. a great question. You know, I'm a working mom. I always have been due to necessity. And I'm sure many of your listeners are in that boat. And so a very renowned, respected psychologist have talked about it is not about the time apart as much as it's about the repair. So can we as moms really put a focus on, okay, sweetie, now you're going to go play at grandma's or we're dropping you off at daycare and, you know, I'm going to be eating lunch, thinking about you and just can't wait until I pick you up at the end of the day. What do you want to do, you know, after school today? And so there's this reconnection. And so that when we do have that time where we pick them up, there's special focus so that it's more about quality than quantity, that we're just so happy to see them. We give them that embrace. There's these moments where we don't just rush into making the dinner or these activities of life can fill the time, but we're sort of carving out a place where we're eye to eye. We're giving that quality time to connect, to make up for that time apart. We're filling that attachment cup to make sure it doesn't get lost in all the busyness of life. And the most important thing, you know, can fall away. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's the, that's the challenge, isn't it? To get that balance. Yeah. You know, there's so much about you should do this and you shouldn't do that. But in the end, it's just finding a balance where, a child is connected and loved even through all of those other challenges. So if, for example, if a parent is, you know, an addict or something like that, what is the impact of that on a child growing up? And so a lot of, well, I guess I'll lean back on mirror neurons. So as children, we learn through mirror neurons that expression of, is mom's face friendly? Is dad approachable? You know, as we look up for what we need. And if they're sort of zoned out, high, not available, sleeping on the couch, there's this, I suppose, loss of trust, this place of, I'm not so sure you're going to be there for me. And so a lot of the times, children of addicts become very efficient, effective, you know, push through kind of adults, because there's a part of them that believes if if it's not going to be me, I can't count on anybody else to do it. And so this can be at the heart of a lot of, you know, burnout symptoms, you know, pushing ourselves beyond not listening to the, the slowdown cues of the body. And it can also, you know, it's almost like we, we bump right into living life like a parent, we can also fall into addictive patterns, even though that's what hurt us most about our parent. It depends if we've come to a place of resolving that hurt or not. If we still hold a lot of bitterness, hurt, anger with our parent, we're actually more likely to pick up what we judge in them than if we had said, oh gosh, you know, no wonder mom was drinking all the time. She lost her mom as a baby. She never recovered from that or, you know, whatever that context might be where we're coming from a place of understanding instead of hurt and resentment. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at My Big Love Project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. 
Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.